Greetings in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What a blessed joy it is for you to join us today as far as Bible study is concerned. And I am certainly delighted and elated that the Lord has allowed for you to be a part of this sharing as we prepare to uh, study um, Galatians chapter 2, verse 11 through 21. Galatians chapter 2, verse 11 through 21. And before we get started, I'm going to ask if we could, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer as we sense and seek what it is that the Lord would have to do as far as our time together. God, we come to you right now and we thank you for this wonderful opportunity to study your word, to learn more of thee, to uh, really become more of what Jesus would have for us to be. Right now, God, we um, gather our hearts and minds as far as this time of study together as we go through uh, this portion of Galatians. Open our hearts to receive our minds, to understand, and our spirits to apply the things we gather and glean from this time together. And Lord, you, the master rabbi, show up, teach us your precepts, and let your word be a lamp to our feet and a light into our pathways. So God, show yourself mighty and strong and we will govern ourselves accordingly. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I see many of you all that are coming online. Sister Deborah uh, Brown, great to see you, um, as well as others who are joining us. Uh, Galatians chapter two, Galatians chapter two, starting at verse 11. And this is a wonderful, wonderful sharing that uh, we see uh, as far as how to handle different things when it comes to uh, the church. And this is a very interesting conversation as well as conflict resolution between Paul and Peter. And so as we prepare to uh, study this particular passage of scripture, um, let's go through it, read it. And I'm going to have you to highlight some things as far as the scripture is concerned that hopefully and prayerfully will uh, be of interest as we navigate this particular um, reading. Galatians chapter two, starting at verse 11. Uh, I see Sister uh, Moore joining us and Sister Malia Carter. Thank God for your presence. I see you in the chat. Sister Lockwood, God bless you. Uh, welcome. Uh, Sister Gwen Singleton, God bless you as well. Thank you for uh, responding as far as our chat and others who are joining us. Let's get ready to unpack this. Sister Doris, how you doing? Welcome. Welcome. I see you in the chat. Thank you all for your comments. Um, let's unpack this with some, some wonderful um, insight. And of course, whatever questions you have, we want you to put them in the chat. Sister Love, God bless you. We see you as well. Galatians chapter 2, starting in verse 11. Now, when Peter had come to Antioch, circle the word Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. I want you to highlight. I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. For before, verse 12, for before certain men came from James, I want you to underline before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they had came, when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision and the rest of the Jews 
and pl also played the hypocrite with him so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. I want you to underline all of that. Underline all of that. Verse 14. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, highlight that phrase. I said to Peter before them all, if you being a Jew lived in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even as we believe in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not of the works of law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. And this is what I need you to do. Starting at verse 16. I want you to underline justified by the works of the law. I want you to circle the word justified. Okay. I also want you to underline but by faith in Jesus Christ, we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Jesus Christ. Circle the word justified. Underline the phrase justified by faith in Jesus Christ and then draw a line from justified in that portion to justified in the first part of verse 16. And not of the works of the law. For the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. I want you to highlight the phrase no flesh shall be justified and circle the word justified and draw a line from justified at the end to justified in the middle. Verse 17, but while we seek to be justified by Christ, highlight the phrase justified by Christ, circle the word justified and then draw a line to justified in verse 16 at the end of verse 16. We ourselves are found sinners is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Certainly not. Verse 18. For if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I, through the law, died to the law that I might live to God. Verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Highlight that. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Verse 20, I do not set aside the grace of God. Highlight that phrase, I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. Underline that phrase, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. Okay. Now, to um, most of us, while this, this reading is very interesting, it's, it, it would be kind of hard for us to unpack and understand if we don't understand the story of what's going on behind this. And so, let me, if I could, talk about this incident at Antioch. Now, in verse 11, we see now Peter 
had come to Antioch. Antioch is the place where they were first called Christian, all right? This is the Antioch that's in Syria. Antioch is a major center of commerce back in the ancient world. Uh, Antioch was a place where it was heavily populated by Greeks and it eventually became a stronghold as far as believers were concerned. Again, it was in Antioch where the believers were first called Christian. And if you want to uh, verify that, just read Acts chapter 11, verse 26. So Antioch is a very interesting place. It's the headquarters for the Gentile church. It was where Paul uh, uh, kind of set up shop and, and did a lot of, lot of his work as far as missionary was concerned. And so Peter had visited Antioch. And um, the interesting thing about Antioch was that this is a place where the Jerusalem apostles realized that God was doing a major work through Paul as he was evangelizing the Gentiles. Now, again, who are the Gentiles? And that's a great question for you to wrestle with. The Gentiles were non-Jewish uh, people, and you had Gentiles who were coming to the faith of Jesus Christ because of the evangelistic work and mission of Paul. Now, why is it so important for us to stress this? Because uh, again, at this time, you had some people who did not believe that Gentiles were fully Christian unless they were circumcised. So again, you had the influence, we talked about this last week, you had the influence of the, quote, Judaizers who had issues with Paul preaching the gospel to the Gentiles and not having them to become circumcised. And Paul is basically saying, you don't have to be circumcised in order to be a Christian. You're not saved by your works, uh, either as far as mission is concerned, or you're not saved by the keeping of the law, particularly as far as circumcision is concerned. All right, yeah, I got that. So you're not saved by the law. You're not saved by your works. You're not saved by doing mission. You're not saved by giving tithes and offerings. You're not saved by coming to church. You're not saved by reading of the Bible. You're saved by faith in Jesus Christ because of the grace that God has given us. Now, we do mission, we give generously, we serve in the church, not to get saved, we are baptized, not to get saved, but to show that we what are saved. All right, y'all got that. All right, now, why am I laboring, particularly in verse 11, so hard? Real easy. Peter comes to the place of the Gentiles, him being a Jew, Paul is giving mission work to the Gentiles and they come to Antioch. Paul is flowing in the anointing that God has for him to flow in. They Peter comes to Antioch and this is where stuff goes left. Okay. <laughs> this is where stuff goes left. All right. 
So notice what we say. Notice what it said in verse 11. And this is Paul talking. And when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face. Now, I don't know about you all, but that sounds like some fighting words. I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. I mean, Paul is going in on Peter. Okay. Paul, Paul is going in on Peter. All right. And, and at any rate, uh, Peter's conduct in Antioch really produced some major tension for these two Christian leaders. All right. Now, why is this so important? Because Peter really was the, quote, leader of the Christian movement, particularly in Jerusalem. Paul was sharing the gospel with the Gentiles. And you have this head-to-head confrontation between Peter and Paul. And and this is very important for us to understand. Uh, And what was the confrontation about? Here it is. Because according to Peter, I mean, according to Paul, Peter ate regularly with the Gentiles while he was in Antioch. All right. He would sit at the same table. They would have conversation. They would eat with each other. They were hanging out with each other. They were speaking with each other until, until, here it is, until certain Christians came from Jerusalem. and infiltrated the fellowship at Antioch. And what Peter did was Peter withdrew himself, separated himself from those fearing those who had been sent or came from Jerusalem who were of the circumcision. In other words, these were some Judaizers showed up all right so what happened was and and this is where we got to really drill down so what happened was paul basically goes to to peter and said man listen you know you being kind of funky you being hypocritical um uh you were hanging out eating with the gentiles and now that these folks showed up from jerusalem you now don't want to eat with the Gentiles. You want to separate yourself from the Gentiles. You don't want to have anything to do with the Gentiles. And you're even corrupting my sidekick, Barnabas. All right. So here, here's what I'm trying to drill down to us. That this confrontation really had to be done because the sake of the future of the gospel was at stake as well as how the church was going to govern itself was at stake. How the church was going to present itself was at stake. All right. So let's look at verse 12. For certain men came from James um, uh, and he would eat with the Gentiles. This is Peter. 
But when they came, he withdrew, separated himself, fearing those who were the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played hypocrite with him so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. Ooh, I mean, Paul is going in, going in on Peter and Barnabas and the rest of the Jews who decided that when these folks who had come from James showed up, that they would withdraw themselves gradually from having a meal with the Gentiles. All right. So this was the group that belonged to the, quote, circumcision party. And I doubt really that they had James endorsement. All right. I doubt very seriously in my studies that these men had the endorsement of James. Now, this James that we're talking about is not the brother of John, but he's the brother of Jesus, the half brother of Jesus. Okay. Very important for you to know what James we're talking about. This is the half brother of Jesus. I doubt again that he had that this group had the backing of the half brother of Jesus. Now, I, let, let me, if I could, I want, I want to do a little drill down because I think it's important for us to understand a couple of things. First of all, I think that it's important for us to understand that uh, there are times when you just got to meet people where they are. And what do I mean by that? It's important for us to understand that Peter is caught in a glaring hypocritical move that could have gone way south if it wasn't for the boldness of Paul. All right. Paul wanted to make sure that the gospel of Jesus Christ was always lifted up and held in high esteem. And whenever the gospel of Jesus Christ was threatened, Paul act. All right. So let, let me just say before I move on that not all conflicts are the same or to be handled the same. And let me say that I believe, and this is just my insight as far as this text is concerned, that Paul's confrontation of Peter is not meant to be a model for every disagreement in the church. Okay, y'all with me so far? Let me, let, me, let me slow walk you through this. So for example, a lay person who questions a point in the pastor's sermon probably should not be opposing the pastor publicly. Okay, uh, because as a lay person, you may not understand a lot of the theological depth that a pastor brings. Conflicts may be similar in emotion and damage caused, but the issues vary greatly in their importance. All right. Church families, churches, families, and friendships can be shattered over trivial matters. So let, let, let me put the hay where the cows can get it. Because 
I've known some churches fall out simply over what color the carpet going to be <laughs> or, or, or what color the choir robe is going to be. How many of us know that some churches have just literally lost it because of color schemes and stuff like that? Now, let me be honest. Stuff like that that causes church splits, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. Those churches ought to be ashamed of themselves, okay? However, there are times when you got to confront some things because of doctrinal error and heresy, all right? We must seek to preserve the unity of the body of Christ and the faithfulness to God's word. So whether the issue is a minor disagreement over taste or a major crisis regarding the truth, Watch this. Love must be communicated to all that are involved. All right. So what am I saying here? What I'm saying is that Paul raises this issue with Peter. And although the apostles were held in high authority, Peter being considered, quote, the chief of the apostle, they were still human. And capable of making mistakes. And even engaging in hypocrisy. No Christian leader is ever above correction. No person, regardless of what he or she achieves or how long he or she serves, is exempt from being corrected and being guided. It's called accountability. So Paul was not trying to lower Peter's position. He was pointing out to the Judaizers that they were wrong to refuse anyone else, namely himself, the position of apostle. And he was letting everybody else know that their teaching was wrong. And so Peter, when he got to Antioch, was hanging out with the Jewish Christians, the Gentile Christians, eating with them regardless of the Jewish di uh, dietary laws. They were having great fellowship. Uh, but then when these Judaizers came, these legalists came, he started pulling away from that fellowship. And Paul calls him to task on it, rightfully so. Even to the point where he said, I got to deal with um, Barnabas on this, who's my sidekick. I got to deal with him on this as well, because what he's doing is shady as well. All right. Now, why am I why am I uh, slow walking this the way that I am? Because so much is at stake as far as what Peter is trying to get across. All right. So let's look at verse um, 14. Because the response of Paul is major. What Peter had initiated him withdrawing from eating a meal with the Gentiles was really the verge of a public scandal to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And because it was done in public, Peter rebuked him in public. All right, let me say it again. Because this was done in public, Peter, I mean, Paul rebuked him, Peter, in public. And furthermore, the defectors Defectors were not acting according to the truth of the gospel. They were denying by their actions 
that Jesus Christ did not really save them based on the fact that they were being justified, not by faith, but by their works. All right. Now, notice the phrase that I had y'all to underline in verse 14. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, the truth of the gospel, the truth of the gospel. This is a stinging rebuke. Now, we don't know what Peter said in, 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 in response to this rebuke, but we know that he was acting contrary to his own convictions because he was betraying the freedom that Jesus Christ had given him and was casting a slur on fellow believers. In other words, he was setting up, watch this, this hierarchical position when it came to the Gentiles and the Jews. He was saying basically that the Jewish Christians are better than the Gentile Christians. All right? That's why Paul goes in on Peter. This is why Paul handles Peter the way that he does in public. Now, let me do the deep drill down and let me help make this as plain as I possibly can. Because I want you all to understand that Paul's rebuke of Peter goes real deep. Paul espouses the common Jewish belief that no person can be justified from the works of the law. In other words, if you kept the law and you broke one part of the law, you broke the whole law. Jews knew that justification, the state of being in a proper covenant relationship with God was not based on the law, but based on God's grace. All right. Now, let me continue to drill down on this because this is very important for us to understand. Prior to Jesus Christ, Jews fulfilled the works of the law in verse 16 through circumcision, through food laws, eating certain foods and diet and keeping the Sabbath. All right. But what Paul wants us to understand that regardless of you keeping the law, that did not make you right with God. Now, here's, here's where I want you to understand that circumcision and the food laws and the keeping of the Sabbath were not to earn God's favor, but it was a sign that God had already given you favor. So here is where I want to put all the meat in the gumbo so that we can eat it real good. Grace and works are not mutually exclusive. Here it is. In other words, I do what I do. I come to church. I give generously. I'm baptized. I serve in ministry. I do the work 
that God would have for me to do, not to get saved, but I do that because I'm what? Already saved. All right. Now, now I, I got to drive this home because in today's culture, we want cheap grace. We want grace without accountability. We want grace without responsibility. We want grace without community. And what I want to drive home and what Paul is driving home is that Paul is saying, you ain't saved by the keeping of the law, but you are now raised to a higher level as far as accountability because of grace. All right, now here it is. Because as Jews, both Paul and Peter believe that justification is a consequence of divine grace. Now, what is justification? I'm so glad you asked. Justification is the fact that you and I are made right before God based on grace. All right? Justification basically means that I have messed up, I have fallen short, I don't deserve what God has given me, but he looked beyond my faults and he saw my needs and he made me right with him regardless based on, watch this, my faith in Jesus Christ. That is what is meant by justification. Now I'm getting ready to get to some real good juicy stuff. That is what is meant by justification. Now, to drive this even further, that when you and I talk about being justified by faith, because this is what Paul is really drilling down, our justification is not based on what we do, but who Jesus is. All right, let me say it again. Our justification is not based on what we do, but it's based on who Jesus Christ is. So you and I ain't justified. And I know uh, that may not be good English, but it's great theology. You and I ain't justified by coming to church, by serving in the church, by giving tithes and offerings, by baptism or anything else. We are justified by our faith in Jesus Christ. And basically what justification means is we are, watch this, declared right even though we got all this sin behind us. All right, let me, let me say it again. We are declared right even though we got all this sin behind us. Okay? So since I express my faith in Jesus Christ, God says, boom, you're no longer condemned. I don't know about anybody else, but that's a good place to shout and give God praise that because of my faith in Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior, I am no longer condemned. God declares me righteous. Okay? We are not justified 
by the observation of the law, but we are justified by faith in Jesus Christ. Now, let me drop the bombshell here because that, my brothers and sisters, is the scandal of the gospel. That, that, that is what makes this gospel blow our minds because you can't work for salvation. You can't pay for salvation. You can't shout for salvation. You can't dance for salvation. You can't come to church enough for salvation. You can't have enough water dropped on you or baptized for salvation. It is based on faith in Jesus Christ alone, very simply by the grace of God. All right? Can't earn it, can't work for it. It is by grace. Now, can I, can, can, can I take you all just a little bit deeper with this word justified or justification? Because when you really understand this, it'll make you put some clapping hands in the chat. It ought to make you run around your living room or wherever you're watching this Bible study right now. Um, uh, because there, there, there are a couple of ways of looking at this word justified. One way basically means that when you and I are justified, that our past sins have been wiped out so we are made righteous in and of ourselves. And it gives us the capacity to come before a holy God. In other words, we are acquitted of our past sins and we are made morally upright before God. All right? That's, that's one way of looking at it. The other way of looking at it is to take the word justified as a legal term. And it literally means that we are declared righteous and no longer condemned. All right. In other words, and this is God. I I I feel like I'm about to. I'm I'm Lord. I feel like I want to throw something at this screen right now. It really means. <laughs> And, and, and if you get this, it'll make you shout. It really means that the person who is justified can claim that his or her condition before God is if they have never sinned before. That 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 their sins from what has happened in the past is wiped away. Okay? In other words, when, when, when you and I have been justified, it means that when God looks at us, that God no longer looks at us through our sins, but through the blood of Jesus Christ, and declares us good 
even though we got all this bad behind us. All right. So, so, so here, here, here's the shout. So when we look at this concept of justification in the Bible, watch this. It doesn't start with you or me, but it starts with God. It starts with God and it ends with God. So when we talk about being justified, it starts with God moving in grace towards us that God justifies us despite our guilt past. God pardons us and then God makes us his daughters and sons and declares us to be righteous. That's all, that's all Paul was trying to say. All Paul was trying to say was, you ain't made right because you're circumcised. And you're not made right because you eat the right diet. And you're not made right uh, because you uh, keep the Sabbath. You're made right because of the grace of God that has been inserted in your life. Now watch this. Watch this. Because this, this, is, this is what Paul is really trying to drive home. That since you and I are made right, are justified based upon our faith in Jesus Christ that, and, 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 and here it is, uh, that, that our faith in Jesus is the equalizer. That, watch this, that our faith in Jesus Christ is the equalizer. And since our faith in Jesus Christ is the equalizer, regardless of social identity, watch this. So regardless of gender, regardless of class, regardless of ethnicity, and in today's culture, regardless of race, our faith in Jesus Christ is the great equalizer. So faith gives us access to the grace of God that goes beyond the narrow constrictions of culture in today's times. So when Peter stopped eating with the Gentiles, Peter was insinuating that the Jews were better than the Gentiles. And Paul was like, oh, no, no, Peter, you're wrong. Peter, you're out of kilter. And everybody that followed Peter, y'all are out of kilter. Barnabas, you too. Barnabas, you should know better. We've been flowing with these Gentiles all this time they've been treating us like brothers and sisters. And now you want to act all brand new because uh, these Judaizers, these people of the circumcision that showed up and now y'all want to eat uh, on the other side of the cafeteria? You're wrong. You're wrong. And this is not how the Lord would have for us to govern ourselves. 
Can't, 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 can't. As my boy Howard John West would say, can I push it? <laughs> or, 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 or as I would say, uh, teach Robert Charles Scott. Uh, I'm having some fun with this thing. This, I'm, I'm trying not to get churchy right now. Y'all got to excuse me. Mm, mm, mm. So, so, so the super righteous people would say, well, if we're justified by faith alone and not by the law, then, you know, folks could live in sin because they're justified and they can do whatever they want to because they ain't got to do good works and they ain't got to do nothing. And, and uh, 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 if, 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 if a person is, is uh, justified by, by faith alone, then um, uh, they can do whatever they want to. And Paul deals with that in verse 17. Paul says, in so many words, but if we who seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also found sinners, is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Certainly not. This goes back to the argument that he makes in Romans when he says, shall we sin that grace be abound? Heaven forbid, God forbid. Now, let, let, me, let, me, let me press us in, in this moment because I think this is very important for, for us to understand because a person can believe in Christ for salvation and then do as he please and have no good works. Paul is saying that ain't true. Because if you say that, then you're making Jesus a promoter of your sin. Watch this. On the contrary, if a believer goes to the law after trusting Christ for salvation, that law will only demonstrate that he was a sinner and a lawbreaker. All right. All right. So so basically what what Paul is saying is this. Paul is saying that Jesus Christ ain't going to promote your mess. And Jesus Christ ain't going to substantiate your sin. That because you and I are justified in Christ Jesus, that his saving us, his salvation, are to cause us to do good work. His saving us ought to cause us to be generous. His salvation ought to cause us to do ministry and mission. His saving us ought to cause us to want to come to church and be with the community and fellowship and be a part of the church. His saving us ought to cause us to do the right things. Okay. All right. That's, that's what salvation is, 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 is all about. Um, 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 we we, we got to be careful not to get caught up in the trap of legalism, but we also got to be careful not to get caught up in the permissiveness of promiscuity. And when I say promiscuity, I'm not just talking about sexual, but I'm talking about 
doing whatever you feel like you want to do. It doesn't work like that. All right. That 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 my relationship with God through Jesus Christ, because I've been justified by faith in him, prompts me. To do what he would have for me to do. Verse 19, for I through the law died to the law that I might live in God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God for righteousness comes by law. Then Christ died in vain. Let me break this down. Let's call it a day. Here's what 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 Peter is really driving home. I mean, Paul is driving home. Paul is really saying that you and I are changed when we accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, because the change that happens to us is based on our faith in Christ the one who died on a cross and who has been resurrected from the dead. And so when you and I accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we are spiritually crucified with Christ. The old person dies and we are resurrected with Christ. A new person is coming to life. Okay? That's that's what happens when you really accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So Paul is saying that through the law, he died to the law. The law demanded death for those who broke it. But hallelujah, Jesus Christ paid that death penalty for all of us sinners. And so the law killed Jesus and those who joined to Jesus by faith are freeing themselves to be joined to live for God by faith. So really what Paul is saying is that he died to the law because Jesus took care of that on a hill called Calvary. And he's able to live for God. Why? Because Christ lives in him. How's that? Through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. So so, so, so now I'm getting ready to throw a whole nother tangent on you because the purpose of the Holy Spirit ain't to make you shout. It ain't to make you dance. It ain't to make you jump and holler. It is it is the person of Christ in you. That's who the Holy Spirit is. All right. That's who the Holy Spirit is. That's who the Holy Spirit is. Death with Christ ended Paul's idolatry of himself. In other words, death in Christ crucified my desires, your desires, that it is not I who lives, but watch this, Christ who lives in me by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. So because I died with Christ spiritually on Calvary, I no longer sit on the throne of myself. Christ now sits on that throne. I have said to Christ, 
I'm moving myself as the king of my life, and you're not the king. Have a seat. Have a seat. But watch this. Let, let, me, let, let me drill this down. Let me call it a day. But Christ does not operate automatically in a believer's life. It is the matter of living the new life by faith in Jesus Christ. So what are you saying, Pastor? What I'm saying is, is that once you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you got to start living for him. And that is your own intentionality. And you got to do that by faith in the Son of God. So it is then faith and not works or legal obedience that releases the divine power of Jesus in my life. In other words, if Jesus loved me enough to give himself for me, then Jesus loves me enough to live out his life in me. Okay. All right. So let me drive this home. Because in verse 21, um, Paul says, I don't set aside the grace of God because if righteousness comes through the law, then Jesus died in vain. Um, the essence of grace is for God to give people what they have not worked on or what they have not worked for. That's what grace is, giving us what we have not worked on. So to insist on justification or sanctification by works to insist on the fact that I got to be justified by what I do, or I got to be sanctified by what I do, is to nullify the grace of God in my life. Here's what I'm driving home. That, that, that my justification or my sanctification, justification, I'm made right, I'm no longer condemned. Sanctification is my growth, my obedience, my sacrifice, I mean, my growth and my obedience, my becoming who God would have for me to be in Christ Jesus. That is the discipleship template. I'm not justified by works. I'm not sanctified by works. Here it is. But because I'm justified and because I am sanctified, I do works. Oh, I'm trying to make this as plain as possible. Because I am justified and because I'm sanctified, I do what I do. But I don't do that. I don't do that trying to get justification. And I don't do that trying to get sanctification, but I do that because I am justified and I am sanctified and, 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 and because God has given me grace, it moves me towards that. Let, let, me, let me wrap this thing up. Paul is saying, Paul is saying that if I engage in legal obedience to the law, Christ died for nothing. If righteousness comes by keeping the law, then there was no need for Jesus to die on Calvary. Here it is. You and I are saved by the grace of God. And because we are saved by the grace of God, that Christ in us by the power and person of the Holy Spirit then causes us to live for God 
in the best manner that we can. So this is all I'm this 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 all I'm this all I'm saying and I'm done. This all I'm saying and I'm done. And here it is. We need to tell folks, you know, we got folks who say, well, you know, I'll come to Jesus when I get my act together. You can't get your act together without Jesus. I'll I'll have a relationship with God. Once I stop drinking or I stop smoking or I stop, you, you can't you can't do that without God. It is based upon faith. And the sign here, here, here oh, thank you for this revelation. And the sign of faith and grace working in your life in a major way is by you doing the work. You don't do the work to get saved. You do the work because you are saved. You don't do the work. You don't, you don't, you don't give tithes and offerings to get saved. You do that because it's a, it's a sign of salvation. You don't get baptized to get saved. You do that because what you, you are saved. Uh, you don't, you don't become part of a church community to get saved. You do that. Why? Because you are saved. You don't serve in ministry or do mission to get saved. You do that because what you are saved. Okay? That, that's why you do that. That's why you do that. I, I see my sister, uh, Sister Carter, asked, so are we able to, to baptize more than once? So here's the question, to answer that question, Sister Carter. Um, uh, I, I tell people that that some of us, we, we're we're baptized when we're young because, you know, our parents or grandparents, somebody told us we need to get baptized because we're of age and we don't really understand what 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 uh, baptism really means. And we do it out of um, obligation to our parents or somebody, but not really fully understanding it. Uh, and I tell people, you don't have to get baptized again. But if you do to strengthen your faith walk. Uh, I'll do it. But now, you know, when you're older and you understand and you get baptized again, you ain't got to do it no more. But baptism is it, it, it. Baptism doesn't save you. It's like it's like me wearing my wedding ring. Uh, I'm married whether I have on my wedding ring or, or not. I'm married to Pierre whether I have a wedding ring or not. But this ring is a sign to the world that I'm married to Pierre. So um uh, but I, I, I help people to understand for, for their faith wall, for their relationship with God, because it clicks for them. I baptize them, but they, they don't have to, to do that. So hopefully, Sister Carla, that will answer uh, your question. Are there any other questions? Um, uh, any other questions? Um, uh, if so, you can put them in the chat before we close out. Any other questions? All right. If not, um, thank you for, for joining us. Uh, uh, yeah. All right. You baptized me um, in 2020, but I feel I need strength and outside of prayer, I'm not just sure what to do. No, you don't need to get baptized again. You just need to start, you know, doing what the Lord would have for you to do. And, um, um, uh, yeah, and, and and just start 
moving toward, you know, the direction that you feel the Lord will have for you to do. Because bap water baptism is not going to give you the strength now. You know better. And because you know better, God's just calling you to do better. So it's, it's, it's a matter of engaging in the right action, Sister Carr. Uh, just just engaging in the right action. All right? Okay. All right. Um, any other questions? Any other questions? All right. You're welcome, Sister Carter. You're welcome. God bless you. God bless you. Yeah. All right. I want to let you all know that as we get ready to close out, that uh, if you so desire to give, uh, you can do that at this particular time. And you can give either by uh, sending a check or money order to the church at 1401 Allen Street, Charlotte, uh, 28205. Or you can drop off your check, cash, or money order here at church. If you decide to do that, call the church office at 704-3345-309 to let us know that you're coming by and make sure that someone is here to receive your offering and we'll put in the next account. Uh, the next way you can give is by ACS or Church Life online. Um, and you can give uh, through our Church Life app or you can give through the app called Givelify. Uh, and if you don't have that app, download that app to your smart device and connect it to your favorite credit card and in three clicks, you can give. Uh, so uh, if you feel led to give right now, you can do it in one of those uh, ways. Uh, Sister Carter, am I still doing CEO? Right now, we, we have our winter session going on. I'll be dealing with uh, lesson number four as far as uh, Christian education orientation is concerned. So yes, we are doing CEO. Uh, and if you have started it before and you didn't complete, call the church office uh, and uh, either talk to Deacon Marilyn White or Reverend Brenda Richardson, they can find out where you are as far as that learning is concerned. And um, if you have started and you didn't finish, they can get you caught up. If not, uh, we can let you know when we're going to be doing our next class and you can join us uh, at that point. Okay. All right. Okay. You're welcome. You're welcome. If there are not any other questions, uh, let's close out in prayer. And I, uh, and, and before I let you go, I want you all to do me a favor. And I gave this challenge on our prayer call tonight, last night. And I want to do this challenge uh, for those that, that are watching me right now. For those that are grown, you got children. If you have children or grandchildren, I want you to do me this favor. I want you to call your children or next time you talk to them. I want you to ask either your children or your grandchildren, how can I pray for you? I want you to pray either for your children or your grandchildren specifically and ask them, how can I pray for you? That's your charge from this time. Um, so as we close out, God, we thank you for this wonderful opportunity to share your word. Help us to understand we're not saved by our works. We're saved by our faith in you because of your grace. And we do what we do uh, not to get salvation, but to demonstrate it. Empower us, oh God, to do what you will have for us to do. And Lord, we pray that this word will be good seed sown into fertile soil. Help us to become more like you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Listen, God bless you. Have a smile upon you. Uh, 
be blessed. And we look forward to you joining us on Sunday, either in the sanctuary or online.